Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Abuse of any kind is a sin, but when authority is abused, the offense is magnified considerably. Not only is there more damage done, but the legitimacy of authority itself is also called into question, which is a concern for those of us who believe that all true authority is God-given and is entrusted to us with the responsibility to use it rightly to serve one another. In this episode, Cameron and I are going to dig deeper into the question of authority and its abuses, and why, if we believe what the Bible teaches, we should be quick to condemn the abuse of authority. I don't do this often enough, but one of the dreams that I had at the very beginning of the commentary was that this might be a way of going deeper in topics in a particular sermon that maybe there wasn't enough time in the sermon, but we could unpack it after the fact and and go a little deeper. So Cameron, if you don't mind, uh, (laughs) indulge me here. I want to go a little bit deeper on a topic that I was only able to touch on in the most recent sermon at Grace, which was the sermon about the Roman centurion mm-hmm. who is said to be remarkably faithful by Jesus. But his explanation of his faith is essentially a statement about the nature of authority. Yeah. You know, he says, I'm a man under authority. I know what it's like to give orders and, and have them carried out. So you can give the command, Jesus, and it will happen. And Jesus says, I haven't encountered faith like this in all of Israel. Mm -hmm. So that's the the setting. And then I mentioned in passing the PCA's uh, Ad Interim Committee Report on Domestic Abuse and Sexual Assault, which is being released. It was just released the week before the sermon was preached, and I've been working through it since then. And what I want to do is talk in a little more depth about authority, the abuse of authority, and how to think about that, particularly in, let's say, a, a Westminster perspective, like, like to take a theological approach to questions of authority and abuse of power and how we should think about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so first things first, um, this is obviously a topic that's very much in the news. If you've been following at all the news recently in the Southern Baptist Convention, you know that there was a uh, an outside investigative report that was done on abuse in that denomination. That's certainly not the first time that there have been bombshell revelations, not only about abuse within a church, but also cover-up of that abuse. And, you know, as they say so often, the cover-up is... Um, if not worse than the crime, at least exacerbates mm-hmm. the crime greatly and implicates more people in it than, than need to be. And so I think we're conscious of, of maybe 
two things. Uh, the ease with which abuse occurs, uh, authority is abused within the church. And then also the tendency that we have, maybe without thinking, to defend abuses of authority because we think we're defending authority itself. Right. And so I just want to kind of unpack those things a little bit. My first question is actually what the report was aiming to do. Is it just to kind of get it out there in the open? Like, hey, here's what's gone on in the PCA of late? Or does it have some other aim? It's a good question. I, th- I think the the aim is complex. I'll do my best to kind of describe uh, my sense of what this document offers. Mm -hmm. So the way that I look at it is you've got a 220 page, essentially a handbook for how a church might navigate these waters, how to understand authority and its abuse in the proper theological context, and then apply that understanding specifically in areas of uh, domestic abuse, uh, sexual assault, the kinds of concerns that can be really difficult to know how to address. You know, I I think for whatever reason, there are some offenses that seem less straightforward to us than others. I, I doubt there are very many churches where if the pastor was accused of murdering someone, there would be an internal debate over whether this should just be handled quietly. Maybe, maybe it's something the elders could, you know, talk to him in person about and, and <laughs> encourage him not to murder anymore. You know, that, that would, would just be nonsensical. Mm-hmm. And yet there are certain areas where they, whether they're gray areas or not, they present that way to people. And it, it, it seems to be a lot more difficult to navigate. So, what this report kind of does is is give you a way to think about these kinds of situations that in a church you're likely to encounter and then have a way of responding to them that's, on the one hand, uh, deeply biblical, and on the other hand, really does value and like care well for the people who have been victims of the abuse of authority. Hmm. And in a sense, you might think of it as, as trying to push back against the tendency to always defend whatever authority has done, whether it's right or wrong, which is a strong impulse. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Why? I'm curious, like maybe two things. Why do you think that happens? And then two, if, if you can think of examples, maybe maybe we don't need to get into examples, <laughs> but but I... I guess in my own experience, I, that is not my tendency. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, what I've experienced in the past, but I, my tendency is to look at leaders who, who abuse their authority and just criticize them. You know, right. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like get out of your, your position of authority yes. because you just forfeited it because you abused it. But, but you're, you're thinking that there are, there's this tendency to come in and defend them maybe it depends on who that authority figure is it does i think it does however let me say that even in examples where maybe it seems pretty clear cut it is surprisingly difficult sometimes just to call out authority on what it's done wrong Mm -hmm. um 
we'll start with the example and then, then derive <laughs> principles. But, uh, you know, one of the podcast sensations of last year was the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And one of the things that allowed the pattern of spiritual abuse to perpetuate for so long in that context was the fact that authority was constantly defended, right? That excuses were always being made, that there was always a a way of rationalizing or justifying things that if you were just hearing about them and didn't have any, you know, uh, dog in the fight, you could immediately identify, well, here's the problem. But once you're invested in the community and you see this, the, the life of the community is depending upon that leader, anything that threatens his position is threatening to you as well. Mm. And I think even with, with you know, the best of intentions, we can kind of talk ourselves into making excuses. Now, so that's, you know, a, a big sort of in the culture example. And for something a little more close to home, let me just give my own life as an example as well. This is something... Lori and I have talked about over you know, the course of the last few years, I'm one of those people who will tend to make excuses for others and put their actions in the best possible light. And I think that interpreting people's actions in a charitable way is important. And, and we ought to do that. But sometimes <laughs> that tendency can, can easily veer into constantly rationalizing and justifying bad decisions or bad behavior Mm. by people in authority. If you find yourself as an officer of the church, always trying to make excuses for what the pastor has done, trying to explain to people in the church why I know it seemed bad, but, but you have to look at it this way. Then you're in that kind of a, a a false position, Mm. right? Where, Maybe you've got too much invested in the success of the ministry, success in air quotes, that you're not able to see that Jesus is more concerned with goodness and and righteousness and justice than he is with quote unquote success. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the, Mm -hmm. the, the reality that we're often dealing with. Yeah. You know, before this, we were talking about the, the cult of personality. Yes. I think, that has something to do with this too, where at least in America, in pockets of the church, we we like to have these really enigmatic or dynamic leaders who, you know, who are taking us places or who are trending in the culture. And I think the Mars Hill example is one of those where like, you know, well, our guy's publishing books and they're selling and all of this. And we go to his church and yeah, I guess like you kind of, I mean, people want leaders a lot of right. the time. And when you see them doing well in some respects, maybe we're just more prone to overlooking possible questions of their authority. Yeah. And I think, so obviously we're talking here about uh, like a larger cultural tendency, not not confined to the church. Mm. It's certainly something you can see 
in politics all the time. You know, the way we do politics now is it's a team sport, <laughs> right? And I'm against everything that that the the opposition team is for. But if it's my team doing it, I'm for it. Yeah. I don't have any sort of permanent uh, ideals. It just depends on who's the one doing it. You know, I'm against regime change if it's your leader doing it. But if it's mine leading the conflict, I'm in favor of regime change, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I think we as 21st century Christians are also products of this same culture and bring a lot of these same tendencies with us into the church. The problem is, if we're trying to live in Christ's kingdom, we have to constantly push back against those assumptions and those tendencies. And so one of the things we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount and now afterwards is Jesus proclaiming and living an ethic where authority means something different in the kingdom than it does in our world, where we're accustomed to you know, powerful people enriching themselves and serving their own interests and building themselves up. Jesus, who has more power than any of them, uses his power to serve. He humbles himself. He sacrifices himself on behalf of others, the way that the Roman centurion humbles and sacrifices himself in order to save his servant. Mm -hmm. So we see here in Matthew 8, a picture of authority that is in stark contrast to what we typically admire in leadership or expect from leaders. Now, we could look at that and say, well, that's Jesus, right? Of course, Jesus is going to be different, but we can't hold, you know, every teacher or pastor up to that standard. But it's not just Jesus in Matthew 8, it's the centurion as well. You know, he's a, a centurion in, in the, the pagan army of an occupying power ruled by an emperor who, you know, on, on, on a bad day thinks he's divine. <laughs> so it's possible for, for leaders who aren't Jesus to manifest these same traits of self-sacrifice mm -hmm. and service and using authority in order to serve others. And the report in its theological section emphasizes that that's not just possible, that's the expectation that the Westminster divines have of us. So a little bit of inside baseball for those who aren't super well-versed in the, the larger catechism. There's a section in the larger catechism where they treat in detail the, the duties of superiors to inferiors and of equals to equals, inferiors to superiors. And, and it's language that in the egalitarian 21st century can make your skin crawl. But what they're addressing is something that, that we too understand. They're addressing power dynamics, that there are people who have authority over other people. But the Westminster divines following scripture are saying that just because you have authority over someone doesn't mean you don't have responsibility towards them. And so they outline, as part of their exposition on the Ten Commandments, the authority uh, responsibilities, like mm -hmm. the responsibilities that those in authority have towards those who serve them. And this is the, let me say like the analogy, this is like the bridge into the, the modern question, because when you're talking about pastors or you're talking about 
parents or you're talking about teachers or just, you know, people who are older or more respected in general. You're talking about people who are uh, in authority, have influence over others. If they abuse that authority and influence, the damage they do isn't the same as the damage done from one equal to another, Mm. right? It's possible for you to be bullied by your peers in school and that's bad and damaging, but abuse from your teacher, that's a whole other level. And is it because of the nature of their responsibility towards you so that when it is violated, it's just that much worse, something like that? I mean, I think it's, there are probably a few things, but but one way that you can really see the, the difference in impact is the way that abuse received from those in authority over us affects the way we perceive all authority. Um, in counseling situations, it's a truism that you know, people who struggle with their earthly father struggle with their heavenly father mm-hmm. because their ideas of fatherhood come from that earthly example. So if you've had a, a distant, unloving, or even abusive father, it's very difficult to suddenly accept the idea of a loving and engaged and self-sacrificing heavenly father demonstrates the power that these relationships have in, in shaping our perception. And so if that's true, like imagine it this way, if, if you as a parent have the ability through your example to shape the way your child will see God, imagine the impact if that authority is abused. Mm-hmm. Like what an effect that has. If that's true for you as a parent, it's true for you as a teacher, it's certainly true as a a pastor or an officer of the church, which is part of the reason why authority like that should never be taken lightly. Why we're counseled in scripture that not many of you should teach. Like there's an extra level of responsibility that comes with that kind of authority. So not only... Should we not defend abuses of authority, but we should be apoplectic mm. when that God-given authority is abused and want to see justice done because something terrible has been done and taking yeah. from God this gift and then abusing it in that way. Something I've seen in the corporate world, certainly, and in other spheres too, is the way people gain authority as they gain authority they want to shirk responsibilities it's like when you climb up the ladder you actually are responsible for less you know you have you gain more maybe status money or whatever but you're doing in the corporate world maybe you're doing less work you're just overseeing people you know you're just a manager now you're watching people you're watching the people do the actual work they're responsible for like the end product or whatever, but you're just up there with the power. And, and certainly, you know, that applies to lots of other things too, but there's also that truism that power corrupts, you know? So is it Lord Acton? It's, you know, yes. And absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. And, and goodness, I think that's, that's just true. I mean, 
it's combine those two things and you've got a, a really like dangerous cocktail of of power going on where you are getting rid of your responsibilities and gaining more influence i mean and then you just think you're immune to yes i, I mean i guess i'm trying to like psychologize a little bit like what's going well, on in the mind of somebody to psychologize but also to theologize because we yeah. go back to the the fundamental question what is authority for right like why is authority entrusted to us if all authority is god given as a scripture sees it then that authority comes with a set of responsibilities like it's meant to be used a certain way uh, as an example and the bible doesn't look at an unjust judge and say well it's cool if he's unjust because he's a judge <laughs> you know whatever the judge says goes because he's the judge no the judge is held to a standard of justice. Like a, a judge should administer justice. And if he doesn't, he's abusing his authority and he'll be held accountable for it. Like he'll be responsible to God for that abuse. So theologically, authority exists to be used to serve, right? To, to do good for those who cannot do that good for themselves. That's what it's for. So if we look at authority as power, as a way of getting ahead, we're seeing it wrongly. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, my dad used to pay me 25 cents per book for these business books that he would have me read. This was like <laughs> his way of encouraging a habit of reading. He had a uh, like a little leather duffel bag full of these paperback sort of business inspirational books that he had accumulated over the years. And I would, you know, dig in there and get, Oh, how to win friends and influence people, you know, <laughs> read that and get a quarter. So I, I was reading very quickly as you can imagine oh, yeah. so that I could really uh, get the money. Well, one of the books I read was Michael Corda's 1970s classic called power. This is the book. If you've ever heard the term power tie, mm -hmm. That comes from this book where he's even thinking about, you know, how to wear, what color tie to wear that, that you know, makes people perceive you as powerful. Well, my big takeaway from reading this book was that if you don't know how the photocopier works, then you get to be the boss of the person who does. <laughs> and kind of like the Peter principle in a way, yeah. but, but stated... Um, positively from the standpoint of your advancement you know it's it's not just that you're being promoted to your level of incompetence but you're cultivating a kind of incompetence so that those who are competent must work for you mm -hmm. um and that was borne out in my own corporate life where i found myself in charge of a department of people who they produced videos they they made websites they did all this kind of technical stuff and i didn't know how to do any of it so I had to be the one to boss around the people who did know what they yeah. were doing. So I yep. thought that's how this works. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the way power works. And I never had a moment of, of reflecting on what is power for. The way that it had always been presented was, well, it, it is inherently good. You want more of it. And the main thing it seems to provide is it gets you off the hook for having to do the work. Like you say, yeah. So I think that's a view of power and authority that's very prevalent in our world. And part of that is we tend to, let's say, be more lenient and forgiving with the abuses of authority. As if abusing authority is one of the privileges that comes along with it. Right. 
right? That if, if you've got that much power, then obviously you're going to play by a different set of rules Mm -hmm. than everybody else, right? We're going to accommodate a certain amount of, of bad behavior on your part. Again, this is the way the world works. This is, this is true in, you know, the corporate world. It's true in politics and it's true in the church, but you have to ask yourself, is that right? Should what's true everywhere else also be the norm in the kingdom? And obviously, if, if you read Matthew's gospel, <laughs> the answer to that is absolutely not. Mm. It now, would be strange. I was just thinking it would be strange to even use the word power with respect to like a pastor, like mm-hmm. our pastor has a lot of power, you know? Right. I, mean, I don't That just seems wrong. Like right. authority. Yeah, I get, but you know, so, something there's, there's a different category, at least in my mind that we need to, we need to obtain. And, and it has to do with that authority as service and responsibility, not right. just as raw power. Well, okay. So speaking from a pastor's perspective, I will say that, Yes, it's true that that pastors are very lacking in power in a lot of areas, you know, that the pastor relies on people's goodwill and and their ability and willingness to volunteer in order to get anything done. And yet, as a pastor, you are extended a level of deference that is a kind of power. If I say something in a group of, of, you know, church members, if we get together to talk about how to do whatever we're going to do, um, if I give my opinion, it carries more weight than other people sitting at the table, even if they're right and I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, knowing that, I have to be conscious of that, that, that if I say it, it might end up being the way I said, even if that's the wrong way. And knowing that will temper, like I, I have to be careful not to say something and sound like that's the way to go if I'm not sure. Right. Because we could end up going that way and failing disastrously, right? <laughs> that that's, that's uh, respecting that power, that authority, and not using it badly. But I think in every area of life, you have those little moments where, there's a there's a deference, there's a benefit of the doubt, there's something extended by virtue of your position, whether that's a, a you know relational thing or a hierarchical thing at work, or or it could just be, you know, you come off as somebody who's really competent and knows what he's talking mm-hmm. about. And that's that's kind of you have like a personal authority as a result. Like yeah. all those different kinds of authority, I think, come with these responsibilities that they need to be used properly you know they need to be used well and and when they're abused that abuse does more damage than it would in a more equal situation and you are held to a much higher level of accountability as a result of it yeah and and that should if nothing else that fact should make you cautious (laughs) well we're also talking about ultimate things you know i was just thinking the other day about my two years as a bible teacher and i felt that same that same dynamic going on with some of my students and even some other teachers who had been 
at the school for a long, long time, but maybe taught a different subject and would come to me with questions about like the Bible or God. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm, I'm the new guy here, but people know that, I mean, you know, it's religion is a very serious thing. You know, my salvation is a very serious thing. So, and it is right. Right. So the people that are in authority to speak on those subjects, as scripture tells us, you know, (laughs) there's a lot on their shoulder and, and that means a lot of responsibility. It does. And, I think that shouldn't, it shouldn't make us like suspicious of all authority. It shouldn't make us anti-authority, although it should make us sympathetic to people who are and recognize that, that oftentimes the, the, the problem that people have with authority comes from a real experience of the abuse of authority. Mm And not just because they're somehow philosophically bent towards anti-authoritarianism or something like that. Like there's a real history behind that. And so um, we've got to take that into account. But at the same time, I, I think the prescription I tried to urge in the sermon and, and would definitely urge right now is, is not that we try to dismantle the authority structures that God has given us it seems to me that even in a fallen world, the church still inherits from Christ this understanding of authority and this understanding of, of how it should be used. And so rather than turning a blind eye to that, trying to pretend like authority isn't real and, and everybody's equal and nobody has any advantage over anybody else or you know whatever, or in a utopian way trying to make that so, which is essentially a kind of denial of the reality that we're faced with. I think what we've got to do is admit that there always will be these situations. There'll always be someone with authority over you and you will always have authority over someone. Mm -hmm. And that in a fallen world, it's really important that you take that authority seriously and that you use it responsibly. I think that's really the key is that we see authority as as a good thing given by God, but given with a lot of responsibility that if we don't take the responsibility seriously, we've got no business wielding the authority. So when you see uh, church leaders who are bulldozing over people, who are using their power to build themselves up, the thing you can be pretty certain of is that they have no real belief in the God who gave them that authority, no respect for what he says about that authority. Because if you listened to what he says about how his authority is meant to be used, you would quake in your boots at the thought of misusing it. So all that just to say, sure, we're often defensive, we're often concerned that This is yet another way for the world, quote unquote, to tear down the church. And we want to defend the leaders of the church when they are accused of of misusing their authority. First and foremost, let's just be determined to let justice be done. Let's care more about authority being used rightly than 
our authority figures being successful and charismatic and mm -hmm. what have you. And if we create a culture of right doing, of using authority well, that I think is a, is a necessary component of the culture of grace that we're always talking about building. That, mm -hmm. that part of building a culture of grace out of a theology of grace is having a gracious understanding of authority and the, the humbleness that should accompany any gift of authority. This is all really helpful. And this, I'll be honest, this episode has been much more rich than I was expecting. <laughs> but I want to I say in conclusion, this reminds me of our episode on church polity, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I don't remember what episode that was, but maybe we could point listeners back there too, because I remember we had this conversation about how the Presbyterian model of church governance mitigates some of these dangers and um, in particular mitigates that impulse towards the celebrity pastor or, or something, you know, something like that. So yeah. maybe we can drop that in the show notes as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think one of the things you'll see in the report, if you do uh, soldier through as I encourage everyone listening to do to actually take a look at this report and which will also link and, and work through the, the more detail, the substance of it, not just kind of the, the overview that we've given, you'll see that, that it addresses exactly that, that, that we have a system that should at least make these abuses more difficult if it's used well, if, if our eyes are opened, of course, every system is subject to abuse. And so I think this actually equips us a little better to use our system well. And uh, we should just say for anyone listening, the, the beauty of our Presbyterian polity is that no leader is above reproach. Like, like it's, it, it, none of us are unaccountable, let's say, that, that we are, hopefully we are above reproach, but, but, yeah. but when we are reproachable, uh, we can actually be held accountable mm. for our wrongdoing, that if a pastor in the church is guilty of wrongdoing and the elders in that church won't take action, it's possible for, for a member of the church to appeal to the presbytery. And the presbytery even can be appealed above to the General Assembly as well. There's a process for that. And 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 if you're part of one of our churches and you have issues like this, not only is there a process, but but the officers involved, even if they're the ones that you have a problem with, have a responsibility to help you with the process and to make sure that accountability takes place. So is the system perfect? Of course not. But there is at least a system through which leaders can be held accountable. In addition to that, as the report makes clear, and as I think many of us just, just know as common sense, when you're dealing with crimes within the church, there's, there's a means of reporting crime to the proper authorities, and, uh, and, and we ought to do that. Mm -hmm. There's no sense in seeing the, the church as somehow a buffer against those things, and, and no church, I think, should undertake for itself uh, the kind of investigative duties and, and responsibilities that are, are, are better held by civil authority. So all that just to say there, there is accountability and it's important to hold authority accountable 
Not only is it important, but it is biblical. It is, it is part of the way that Christ models authority to us. Thanks for listening to The Commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to The Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org. Thank you.